Professor Susan Gable joined us on the panel yesterday, and we're delighted to have her in Sydney again this year. Uh, Susan is an inclusive uh, teacher educator with the Wayne State University at Detroit in Michigan, and uh, she'll be looking at opening the circle of the beginning and creating an open circle of belonging that can also be a whole school commitment that involves recognizing or seeing potential open circle members while simultaneously avoiding the problem of speaking for others. Would you please welcome Professor Susan Gable. I'd like to test the PowerPoint and make sure that it's working for me. I guess I'll wait. <laughs> Okay, as, as Andrew said yesterday, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and the first two slides that I have show you where Detroit is. I'm hoping those can be pulled up. No? No slides? Okay, I'll just continue then. Good morning. I've been thinking about belonging for about two years. Research is very clear that a student's sense of school belonging is an important trait of high-quality schools. The sense of school belonging serves as a powerful emotional resource for students and their families. Students who feel belonging in school are more likely to have interest and motivation and engagement in learning. They have better school attendance and they have improved post-school outcomes. Students who feel belonging need fewer disciplinary interventions, have higher grades, and are more likely to graduate high school. These are significant findings for any school interested in a whole school approach. One of the hallmarks of school belonging is the presence and availability of supportive adult and peer relationships at school. And of course, teachers and administrators have a significant role to play in supportive relationships with students. The belonging research clearly shows that a sense of belonging in the classroom is important for student well-being. Think about yourself. Imagine a place where you feel belonging. It might be here, it might be in your family, it might be in your house of worship, could be in many places. How do you feel when you're in a building or space in which you feel belonging? Think about how you feel emotionally. Do you want to be there? Do you feel capable and confident in that place? What happens to you physically when you feel belonging? Are you calm or do you feel, do you feel supported? Wonderful, okay. Uh, he just said the, the file that I sent last night is corrupted so we're back to an old file and um, I will be flexible. <laughs> okay, uh, so the, the old file doesn't have Detroit. Um, but Detroit is in the Midwest, in Michigan, it's a state that looks like a mitten, and um, you, I, I'm sure that you've heard about it. So let's see. Do you think more clearly when you feel belonging? Now think about how you feel when you're somewhere where you don't feel belonging. How is that different from feeling belonging? How does not belonging affect your confidence, your performance, your emotions? What happens to you physically when you don't feel belonging? Do your palms sweat? Does your heart race? Do you feel anxious or out of place? We are adults. Now consider the impact on young people who feel belonging or don't feel belonging. Given what you know about yourself as an adult, 
To what extent do you think belonging impacts young people's school performance? Cognitive neuroscience shows that the emotional security associated with belonging has measurable effects on learning and educational performance. So I've just given you a reason for thinking about belonging. It can, it can improve student performance, student engagement with learning, and student post-school outcomes. In the research that I do, it's considered essential that the researcher reveal who she is and the perspective she brings to her work. I have a unique perspective on disability in education. As a scholar of disability studies, my research focuses on the ways education as an institution produces disability. In other words, I look at the ways in which education designs disabling contexts. As a young woman, I was a special education teacher for 15 years while I raised a family. I've been a teacher educator for 25 years. I'm a disabled woman. And as a mother, I think about disability all day, every day, whether I'm in Australia or New Zealand or the United States. Two of my three adult children have what I call significant support needs, which means they require 24-hour day assistance to remain safe, engaged in activities of daily living, and participate in their community. Last year, I told a story about my fourth child, my oldest daughter, now deceased, Tiffany. Perhaps you remember that story if you were here last year. I say a little bit about her in my article in the Australian Educational Leader that was published recently. All of this is to say that I view special education, or rather education for disabled students, from multiple lenses as a researcher, a teacher, a teacher educator, a disabled person, and a mother. In my work, I try to integrate these lenses into one holistic perspective. So to illustrate, I'll tell you a story that takes me back to 1980. And if you remember yesterday, I said I started teaching in 1979. So this is the year after my first year of teaching. I was a newlywed and a new teacher in the Binet School for Children. Oh, this is the old slide, okay. <laughs> uh, I was a newlywed and a teacher for the, at the Binet School for Children with multiple handicaps in Louisville, Kentucky. One day, early in the fall, my principal told me I was getting a new student, a four-year-old child in foster care. The day of his arrival, I waited in the hall outside my classroom, greeting my young students as they came to school. And just before the time it was time to start class, I heard a click, click, click approaching me in the hallway. It was the sound of, a, of metal on a leg brace as its user was limping toward me in the hall. I looked in the direction of the clicking and saw a four-year-old disheveled boy with a scruffy afro and poorly fitted clothing walking toward me. He reached my door, looked up at me, and said, Mommy, today that little boy is my 42-year-old son, Bob. And I'm disappointed. Oh, there he is. <laughs> the photo on the left suggests he's calm and pensive, but typically he's always in motion and quite loud. In the photo on the right, you can see him as Chef Roberto, a man who is learning to cook. I'm not suggesting that every teacher should be prepared to adopt any student <laughs> who mistakenly calls teacher mommy or daddy. 
On the contrary, my husband and I are as flawed as everyone else, and our adult children will confirm this. But in the very moment the scruffy little boy with the leg brace called me mommy, I unexpectedly created a family with little debate about the coming challenges, and there have been many. My husband and I jumped into parenting. Now, as Bob nears middle age, I think of this as our opportunity to open our circle of belonging. We were faced with a request from a child who, in his own way, was asking to belong. The only word he knew to use was the epitome of belonging, mommy. Fortunately, we chose to open our circle of belonging. We made an intentional decision to allow our circle to risk the increase in size and complexity. Let me try to explain what I mean by going back to last year's summit and the metaphor of circles. At last year's summit, I used circles as a metaphor for belonging, and after my talk, someone in the audience came up to me and said, you should keep working on that circle thing. And if that person is here, I'd like to know if you're here, if you remember saying that to me. I don't see anyone admitting to it. So <laughs> since then, I've been thinking a lot about circles of belonging. And reflecting on circles for the last year, I realized circles exist as a result of the intentional efforts by people who choose to create them. A circle can't exist without the artist who draws or paints it. Circles come in many shapes and sizes, and circles serve as a useful metaphor for belonging. Metaphors can be used to understand the connection between distinctly separate ideas. For example, a circle can support our understanding of belonging, and a whole school approach to improving student outcomes with belonging. Metaphors are a basic function of human thought in that they generate ideas, make cognitive connections, and create mental images that may only be possible with the use of metaphors. So when I think and write about belonging as a circle, I create mental images that allow me to understand belonging how and by whom it's facilitated, and the activities that can happen in the circle of belonging. I can better understand and communicate these ideas with circles than if I were to use words alone. In this slide, you can see a circle, boldly sure that it's a circle. Its lines are clean and firm. It's round and glossy, perfectly sealed, impenetrable, fixed, one might say it's a perfect circle, a circle that knows what it's doing. Thinking of the circle of belonging, this circle seems to say, I know who belongs and who doesn't belong, who's in and who's out. Everyone is safely sealed inside this circle of belonging. There's no opening to this circle, so once you're in, you're likely to stay. It's a permanent circle of belonging, much like my daughter Tiffany's circle of belonging that I described in my talk last year and mentioned in my recent article. Once Tiffany was assigned to the circle of belonging for students labeled what we call in the States SXI, severely multiply impaired, she was not allowed to leave that circle. Regardless of the school she attended and the academic instruction she personally requested, the closed circle of belonging followed her everywhere she went. It was as though she was a bubble girl, confined in a circle she couldn't escape regardless of how hard she and her parents tried to free her. 
Her circle served the long-term needs of the system that confined her to the circle. She was physically safe. Therapies were provided. People liked her. I would say people loved her. But the circle didn't serve her long-term needs as a learner or a member of a broader community. After all, there is no such thing as a shopping mall or park or museum reserved for people in the SXI circle. People like Tiffany need to be able to navigate shopping malls and parks and museums that everyone else uses. And everyone else needs to navigate shopping malls with people like Tiffany. Another circle isn't sure it wants to be a circle. So it takes a form easily dispersed when things go wrong and being a circle is too difficult. This is a temporary circle that thinks a lot about the future challenges and risks of being a real circle. It worries, what if the people in the circle are difficult? What if they're dirty or what if they smell or they can't speak English? What if they're irritating or angry parents wanna be in the circle? Angry parents can be so difficult and uncooperative. Since this circle is temporary, it could eventually find a way to decide who belongs and who doesn't belong. And once a decision about not belonging is made, the circle could make life in the circle so difficult that the ones who don't belong leave on their own. You may have experiences like this. Or the circle could decide to stop being a circle and could just splash unceremoniously to the floor. The third misshapen circle is more of an oval or a rounded square. It has a slight gap, an entry of sorts that seems to say, I have a little bit of room for visitors, but I'm not sure how long you can stay. The opening may close at any time. This is an undecided circle. Is it open or closed? I'm not sure. It's not sure. It lacks the clarity and purpose of a circle of belonging. You could even say it's pretending to be a circle, but it has serious misgivings about being a circle. It wonders if being a circle will cost too much money, become too unwieldy, require too much professional development. This almost circle wonders if it will be allowed to make its own decisions when things get tough in the circle. It wonders if it can follow its own policies of belonging that, that, that determine who's in and who's out. The circle asks, do I have to listen to the students and families in the circle? Must families be in the circle after all? They can really get in the way. This last circle is unfinished and oddly not quite a circle. What could we call this almost circle? Some might call it a mistake because the people who drew it neglected to, find, to use that final stroke of the pen that would turn the almost circle into a real circle that offers belonging, safety, and the proper amount of support for its members. Still others might disagree and say that the circle is open or opening and that should be, it should be allowed to be an almost circle if it wants to be. After all, open circles can be flexible. They can expand if needed, and since their arms aren't closed, open circles feel welcoming as if they're saying, come on in, there's always room for more. Since they're open, open circles don't decide who can and cannot be in the circle. Everyone can be in the open circle of belonging because the circle has decided to stay open. It is intentionally open. Its arcs are decidedly drawn firmly and clearly, but not closed, as if to say, I know I'm an open circle, I want to be this way. 
There are no doors that require you to knock, knock, knock to gain entry into the open circle. And there are no, no secret passwords to reveal that you really belong in another circle, perhaps the SXI circle. The open circle offers belonging to anyone who enters its doors while knowing that some people who enter and who belong will be difficult, foreign, distasteful, or rude. The open circle could send such people back to a closed circle designed just for them, but that's not what open circles do. Circles can be comforting, restorative, embracing, reassuring, nurturing. Open circles are unfinished, but aware that things can change. Open circles embrace while leaving room for the unexpected, the possibilities, the roller coaster of life in the open circle. They don't decide when to open and when to close. They're just plain open. Even when things get tough, when students don't behave, when families complain, when resources are lacking, when policies are unsupportive, when students fail, when teachers fall short, when courage dwindles, the circle stays open. Now thinking back to 1980 and the story of the little boy limping toward me at the Binet School for the multiply handicapped. Open circles are a lot like families. Children come into families unprepared to raise them, unable to provide them with everything they want, unlikely to remain conflict-free. Grandparents may disagree with child-rearing practices. Parents may not appreciate advice. Children may resist boundaries. Parents may sometimes be too rigid or too lenient or too tired or to anything, but most families keep the circle open in spite of the drawbacks and challenges of being a family. People say the family unit is foundational to societal stability. The same can be said about belonging in schools. The open circle of belonging is foundational to student outcomes. Schools and families exist within the same complex social and political spheres spheres that determine resources available for maintaining the circle, spheres that present, prevent some possibilities and limit other possibilities, spheres in which disagreements and conflict bubble continually, spheres impacted by public policy, funding streams, political movements, and cultural narratives. Open circles are the result of ethical commitments Instead of thinking about the teacher-student relationship as in loco parentis, a decidedly legal notion, let's think about the relationships in school as kinships or affinities between people who live and work in relationship with one another five days a week. Students come to school every day figuratively saying mommy or daddy or grandmother, grandfather, sister, brother, cousin, performing the basic human quest for belonging. Students plead for belonging in any way they can by following directions or resisting school rules, by asking for help or rejecting support, by speaking English or refusing to speak English. A whole school can make an intentional commitment to develop and sustain a student's sense of school belonging by providing students with supportive relationships with adults, 
I'm still working with the, the wrong slide, that's okay. By providing students with supportive relationships with adults, demonstrating that every student has value in the open circle, and by providing an accessible curriculum that supports all students. So let's go back to those circles. Which circle represents your school? Or you could say which circle represents the uh, the belong sense of belongings that your school needs to work toward. Does your school represent the boldly closed circle of belonging? Does it represent the temporary circle worried about the challenges of being a circle of belonging? Or what about the barely open circle, undecided about whether it wants to be a circle? Or finally, is your school the open circle of belonging, the almost open circle? the almost circle that decidedly, intentionally stays open. I'll close with an adaption of the poem that I closed with last year. They drew a circle that shut students out, different, slow, no one with clout, but belonging and we had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took them in. Thank you. <laughs>